Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. As we come into our podcast today, let me pose a few questions. How do you feel when someone cuts you off in traffic or isn't even paying attention as they drive? How about the clerk at the checkout counter that is just so slow or has to re-ring things because they failed to do so right the first time? How about when your boss overlooks you for something that you deservedly were due praise and acknowledgement for? Or for you parents, what are you feeling when your child refuses to listen? Well, let me ask a few tougher, maybe more difficult questions. If you grew up in a family where there was abuse, maybe alcoholism, maybe boundary violations, how do you respond now as an adult when these issues play out in your relationship or maybe when you see others dealing with them? How about if someone calls you out or makes fun of you or makes you feel small or insignificant? How are you feeling inside? What if your upbringing included maybe injustice or shame or humiliation? What gets triggered in you now if you experience these in a relationship or in an interaction? Well, most of us in response to any one of these situations would report that we are likely feeling some anger or for some, maybe even a more intense rage. In these situations with anger erupting inside, what is your go-to strategy? Do you externalize your anger? Do you simply react and lose your cool, maybe act out your anger and aggression, maybe hostility? Might you even become hurtful to another person? Or are you one of those folks that turns anger within, internalizing it, holding it in, resulting in that internal kind of slow burn? Well, anger is a normal and even healthy emotion, but it's important to deal with it in a positive way, as uncontrolled anger can take a toll both on our health and our relationships. But recognizing one's anger and having the courage to lean into it and face it, and then try to heal it, it's easier said than done. And that's why I'm so happy to have Michelle Haley back with us today to talk about anger and anger management. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll remember Michelle being with us as a prior guest as she introduced us to Together Well, where she is the founder and director. Together Well is a community of mental health professionals that offer emotional wellness workshops to individuals, organizations, and families. Michelle has nearly two decades of experience in a variety of different roles, including therapist, adjunct professor, researcher, community programmer, and case manager. She lives and practices out of San Francisco Bay Area. This work in the Bay Area has included facilitating inmate partner violence groups, also referred to as IPV, for inmates in a correctional facility, creating IPV curriculum for the graduate program at the University of San Francisco, and providing workshops for clinicians, the DA's office, and the police department to help equip those having to address IPV incidents. Michelle, it is so nice to have you back here. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be back with you today, Graham. So nice. I'm glad to have you back. I enjoyed our first time so much. I'm, I'm excited about our topic today. And we're talking about anger management. It's a term actually that was first coined by Dr. Raymond Navaco back in 1975. He was a professor at the Department of Psychology at UC Irvine. And I know we're here today to speak about anger management. And I know that when we say anger management, we tend to associate anger being something that we just have to kind of manage in order to be okay. And, and that is in part, in fact, true. Anger that's mismanaged can actually be problematic. And hence, there are a number of validated treatment approaches 
to managing one's anger. And I do want our listeners today to walk away with some useful tools and strategies to manage those times when they find anger and frustration kind of boiling up. But knowing the way that you work and knowing the way that you and I have spoken before, I also want us to delve a wee bit deeper such that we don't just learn how to band-aid a deeper problem such that we're only as good until the next time we get triggered. I'd like for our time today to include some of the underlying causes of anger and how we can get at it and understand it and ideally work to heal those underlying areas of vulnerability that can lead to anger being an outburst or experienced in very hurtful or difficult ways. Therefore, I'd like us to start with you, Michelle, giving us some understanding of what you know from all of your work and your research to be some of the root and deeper causes of anger. Great question. Thanks so much, Graham. So basically, when we think about when we're two and we can't get our needs met, we often end up going into some sort of tantrum and experience. And so that's an experience that doesn't serve us though in our adulthood. And so sometimes if we haven't been modeled the appropriate skills or healthy communication, we may regress to sort of those tantrums because they have worked in the past and and they have been positively reinforced for a variety of reasons and ways. And so I think part of it is that being a skill that has benefited us. And so trying to not judge ourselves for having an anger outburst and, and more so just trying to understand it from that from that root perspective. It was an origin that served us at one point and maybe doesn't serve us anymore. And then when I think about root causes, I mean, there's, there's so many different causes that can be due to anger, such as internal events, like failing at a job or perceived failure or failing out of school frustrations, being teased, having a loss, different behavioral changes because of a cognitive traumatic brain injury, substance issues, and various other cognitive issues. But when we really look at the root from a behavioral perspective, something that can be really helpful is doing a chain analysis often with cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm. And so this is a strategy that I love doing with with clients or in group therapy as well, is really delving into the chain of what was the outcome, what happened right before it, what were the feelings and thoughts, and and really going back to the origin of an incident. So I have one example that sticks out with a person who I was working with in corrections. And so in his situation, he was incarcerated. So it was difficult. So you always want to look at the context of, is it actually even safe to go into exploring the root cause because you're incarcerated with a bunch of other individuals who may not have the skills. And so if you say, hey, I'm actually feeling sad about XYZ, that may not be a safe place for you to express that. Yeah. And so when we're looking at the root cause, and for example, this situation with a person who is incarcerated, he was in a place where he was able to start delving into that. So we looked at why he was incarcerated in this particular situation. He'd broken into a car and gotten caught. He was trying to steal an iPhone. And so we looked at that. Well, what happened right before stealing the iPhone and getting caught? Well, he was drinking. So he was engaging in substances. So why were you engaging in substances? What happened before that? Before that, he was actually at a soup kitchen where... Somebody had stolen his Pop-Tart. Mm. 
And normally in that moment, he would have addressed the situation, but the individual was actually in a wheelchair. And so he felt like he wasn't able to express himself because of that stifled energy of not being able to express himself. It it got bottled up. And so then we started going into, well, what were the actual feelings that you felt in that moment? And really what came up were feelings of helplessness, hopelessness, mm-hmm. despair. And it really triggered a survival response. And then we, we took it a, a step further and it was really about what was your first memory of having these complicated feelings? And I'll spare the details because it is quite mm-hmm. graphic, mm-hmm. but it was a situation with his father where He was a a small child, unable to share his thoughts and feelings, and it was a no-win situation. He has a specific memory, and it just elicited all those feelings. And so when we look at the end result of incarcerated and all these steps, you can really understand the origin of where this anger pattern started. And so when we look at the root cause, well, there could be so many different impactors, like we mentioned before about like cognitive factors. There's also a lot of us have like this behavioral chain and cognitive behavioral therapy could be a really wonderful tool to help shine a light on concrete tools and resources to help bring that process forward. You know, I'm teeing this question up and I love all you're saying. There's so many things that you just said right there that we could unpack and just kind of go off in various tangents that are so relevant. But we started this with what are some of the deeper roots and causes? What I loved you start with was here's this two-year-old child who lacks, you know, the ability to articulate themselves as clearly as they might want to. And they, in frustration, throw a tantrum. And the good parent kind of brings them into the lap and kind of, you know, says, hey, what's going on? And what might you need? And is patient in those moments and tolerates that and kind of is the holder and absorber of some of that frustration and helps the child kind of makes clear for the child what they might need and want. And then therefore soothes that child in a really healthy way until they can bring their frustration from an acting out level to a conversation level as they age. And I love that. But what you're going into as well as you're through the story saying that what happens if you don't have a parent who has frustration tolerance, who has the emotional muscle to manage those moments? What if a parent in their own anxieties, their own anger erupts? And so this child becomes reactive to this anger and they're actually taught what to do in those angered moments. And what you're saying here in that story is, what if sometimes our anger is actually, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this, actually a developed coping strategy. It's, It's maybe even a security operation. A response has been developed uh, and refined maybe as an early warning detector around perceived or expected or real danger relationally, something that's getting triggered, that this is their best, most adaptive way, though dysfunctional, to try and express what they're holding inside that's so difficult to hold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is that, I think, for patients the psychoeducation around the trauma response and how in the brain, our frontal lobe often goes offline as a result of uh, a fear response or a stressor. And so that fight, flight, freeze, well, in this situation with anger management, we're talking about that fight. And so with the fight and that frontal lobe not working, it's those skills, even if you have them are very difficult to use. And so if you don't have them at all, what do you do? We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. 
So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig-time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com slash B-H-T, and then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. Let's go into this real quick. So if there's not that modeling there, where that modeling provides kind of a holding environment, Winnicott's idea of yeah, a holding environment, then you never develop that holding capacity yourself because someone can hold it with you. It's hard to do what wasn't given to you and right. what you weren't taught. So we know that anger, what you're getting into now is a cool piece and it's a very real piece. So we know that anger is not just an outer reaction. There's a very real, and I want your thoughts on this, internal kind of physiological, biological set of activities that's literally going on in the brain. So to simply say to someone, hey, just calm down, you know, uh, or hey, don't get so angry. Hey, just let it go. When one is activated and angered, it's that's truly a fool's errand. It is, uh -huh. it is not workable. So explain to us a little bit more about what is going on at that physiological, literally, and biological level that explains what we're seeing on the outward side. Yeah. And if anything, like you're saying, like those are more, like you tell someone to calm down, like, no, no, thank you. So actually triggering. Yeah. Very right. triggering. You're not understanding me. Back yeah. You're, yeah. You're, right. you're misunderstanding me. And now I'm getting more upset. And so with that frontal lobe that is often not fully developed at one point, we thought it was early twenties up. Now we're at 28, 29, and maybe as science advances, we'll find out it never fully does. But this part of the brain is responsible for insight, judgment, reasoning, and all these sort of things. So if the frontal lobe is offline, we don't really have access to these things. But when so we are triggered, what you're saying, this is a key. When we are triggered, our frontal lobe does go offline because that fight or flight kicks in. In, exactly. in an adaptive way. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. And so really anger management is about creating tools and techniques yeah. to help support people in understanding that they are recognizing the symptoms on their way up to anger. So they can at least say, okay, you know what? Like you often hear people say, I went from one to a hundred. Yeah. And so it's helping people understand, okay, I'm at a one now I'm at a five now I'm at a 10. And yes. so I know because I'm at you know, a five, I'm going to go need to take a time out, or I'm going to go need to do something to get that frontal lobe working again. And there are a bevy of coping mechanisms to help support that quickly. But for some people who haven't engaged in coping skills, healthy coping skills, that process to get the frontal lobe back on working again can take substantially longer. And so it's really setting people up for success to understand that it's a process. And that has a lot to do with neuroplasticity. So 
we think about those brain networks and connections, and I, I like to explain it as a record. And so we've been used to working in this sort of pattern. And so our connections are used to sort of going in a certain way. And so when you think about a record back in the day, the song that you used to listen to over and over would create a groove within the mm -hmm. record. And if you hit the table, you know, and you're on another song, it's going to go back into that groove. And so through practice, we get to create these cool new ways um, of creating better, healthier grooves right. so that when a traumatic incident happens, that needle goes to the new groove instead of the yeah. old groove. There's that some makes cool sense. research around that, the idea of we can create new, new neural pathways. We can literally create new ones that form their own deeper over time, deeper and deeper groove and become our go-to ones. But what you're saying, I so appreciate it. You know, when someone says, well, just calm down or, you know, let that go. Or if someone doesn't know what's being triggered in that person, then you're really, like you said earlier, failing to empathize and understand really what's occurring for those that maybe have been violated mm -hmm. or those who have been victimized themselves. Those who have been humiliated or shamed yeah. where they maybe even had boundaries crossed or maybe they suffered a loss. These are real. And, and what happens is that we know in those moments when they go through those traumas, our brain emotionally locks that event at that age. So I could be 40 years old, but if I got if I got violated at five, at 40, I'm experiencing what it was like to be a five-year-old in Definitely. that place. Because the, 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 the brain holds trauma, we know, yep. and it holds it in that state. So what you're saying is I am literally in that fight or flight mode in reality, back at five years old, experiencing that while I'm a 40-year-old man. And so we need ways to kind of slow it down, break it down and bring this to awareness in the ways that I love that you're talking about. Yeah. And I, I loved how you put that all together. And that's exactly right. And so what I find really powerful and something that I feel we sometimes leave out are these examples with neuroscience of patients. If we can explain these concepts in the brain, I, I feel it really allows for hope and, and like, oh, this is why I'm engaging in this acti yeah. these activities. And if I quote, fail yeah. at doing my breathing exercises or my practice skills, I can understand that it is a process and it's about deepening that groove yeah. in the brain for the future. And I will be able to get there if I keep you, practicing. You know what I love about that too, is when you, when you break it down that way and you kind of right size it for people and you explain that, well, of course, in this moment, you'd react that way. You're kind of depathologizing it in a way. You're mm -hmm. kind of normalizing that, hey, back in the day, when this happened with your parent or on the playground, or when this violation occurred, of course, you'd react like that. And of course, now, 30 years later, you'd have this triggered response. And so you're saying not only is this hopeful, but also as they look at their behavior, rather than kind of creating their own shame-based kind of interpretation of it, they get to say, are you saying that this is actually an adaptive, though dysfunctional now, mm -hmm. actually once upon a time, an adaptive way for me to have responded to that? You could say, yes. Exactly. And the science shows it. And I find putting it on paper, drawing it, showing yeah. it is really helpful. And I think that when we think about our engagement to anger management as well, in addition to the psychoeducation, yeah. I think really creating that environment that that does instill safety and no judgment like you're speaking to is really a critical piece. And I, I find that sharing you know, stories and examples yeah. of us all losing it, our frontal lobes for a little while can be really helpful. Like you yeah. were saying in the beginning with, you know, traffic or right. you get that email or whatever it may be sure. that kind of sets you off. And, and I, you know, really share, I've 
certainly had my fair share of road rage, you know? And so I like to share that as well. I have this one story that I always share is a while back, I I got some road rage with this guy who cut me off and we were saying some obscenities and we're so angry. And then all of a sudden we get to the the red light and we're actually both at the same point. And neither of us got further. And we just looked at each other and started laughing because it was like, this is absurd. This is like, really? Like, please, you go. Like, it's fine. I think that we can all relate in that. And I think part of people being able to think and get their frontal lobes back on is being able to getting rid of that judgment to lessen that sort of fear-based response. Because when you think about it, even the mere act of going to anger management is so triggering. You're, you know, it's like something quote is wrong with me. I'm going to be judged. And that triggers that whole setup too. So it's sort of that self-fulfilling prophecy. So oftentimes when I've done anger groups, you know, people will come in already angry. So it's really about trying to find ways to join and normalize that, you know, anger in and of itself actually isn't a bad thing. There is a survival mechanism. Folks, pardon the interruption, but we'll continue this discussion on our next show. I want to thank our guest today, Michelle Haley, for coming on to the show. For more information about Together Well, as well as publicly available workshops on communication and self-care skills, please visit www.togetherwell.org. If you are a therapist interested in joining Together Well, please visit www.togetherwell.org join. And lastly, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in today, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.